My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're looking at Mark chapter 8 this morning, and I'd encourage you to turn there in uh, your Bible or your Bible app. It'll be on the screen behind me, or you can use one of the, the Bibles, hopefully within reach of where you are, uh, behind uh, on, the, on the P rack in front of you. And if you're using that Bible, I can at least tell you this, it's on page 843. Otherwise, you're kind of on your own to find Mark 8. But... Um, Uh, Mark 8, we are uh, starting in verse 1, and I want us to read, I'll read for us through uh, verse 21. Let's give our attention to God's word. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he, that is Jesus, called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on this crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people and they set them before the crowd and they had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them and they ate and were satisfied and they took up the broken pieces left over seven baskets full and there were about 4,000 people and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now, They, he's talking about the disciples, they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray that as um, you've brought us here and allowed us the privilege of opening your word, we pray that you would give us the grace of opening our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that we might understand, perceive, see, hear, that our hearts might be moved and that we might see Jesus more fully and in a way that makes him more believable and more beautiful to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Part of my job this morning, maybe my only job this morning, is to prepare you for the test that all of us have on Thursday. Uh, No, kids, you don't have school on Thursday, but it is Thanksgiving on Thursday, and that means 
you've got a test on Thursday. Um, the good news, it's the same test you had last year at Thanksgiving. It's still just one question. You with me yet? You know what that question is? What are you thankful for this year? That's the test. Easy test. What are you thankful for this year? I should tell you, uh, there are some wrong answers. So, for example, if you say nothing, okay, it's wrong answer. That's not acceptable. You're going to have to keep going until you arrive at something a bit more reflective than nothing. If your answer is food, it's not quite a wrong answer, definitely a lazy answer. Okay, if you're three, it's adorable. Everyone else, if all you can come up with when you're asked that question is food, the roles, you know, whatever, we're going we're gonna to ask for a bit more reflection because Thanksgiving is about more than food. It's not less than food for sure, but it's more than food, right? It's about remembering beyond what's right in front of you what you're thankful for. And, uh, and we could go a step further as, as we did just a moment ago when we said it's really about giving thanks to God for everything that God has done for you. Now, in the story that's before us from the Gospel of Mark, uh, it's no accident that this story is about food. We chose it for that reason. And it's not just about food, though, is it? The, the issue here is not really the food. The issue here is that the disciples easily forget what Jesus just did. And this is why this test that we have coming up, it's it's good for us. I know for some of us, it feels like maybe a little bit of a drag. It's like what we always do at the table, but it's, it's good for us because we easily forget what God has done for us. And so this passage helps refresh our memory. There's a good lawyer term for you. Let me, allow me to refresh your memory with some questions, with some statements. Does this refresh your memory? Jesus is saying here in this passage, let me refresh your memory specifically about the things we have to be thankful for, what he has done for us. Two things this morning, two things. First of all, Jesus says, remember how I have provided for you. Secondly, remember, remember how I have protected you, how I have provided for you, how I have protected you. Now, this first issue of provision comes about as we open up to uh, chapter eight, we may, if we've been following along, but doing our homework in, in, in the gospel of Mark, we may think we mistakenly just turn to chapter six because it's almost the exact same story with some details changed that we find in chapter six. That is in the not so distant past, Jesus and his disciples were in almost the, exactly, the exact same situation. Different place, same situation. It was a desolate place. There were thousands of people in front of them. They were all hungry. They were too far to you know, get to the, the uh, grocery store or get home for food. And so Jesus says to his disciples, I want to feed these people. And Jesus' disciples say, how are you going to feed these people? Right? And then Jesus takes just a little bit like a sack lunch and makes it a meal for everybody. All right, that's back in chapter six, which makes this scene all the more interesting because it's playing out again, just as it did before, slightly different numbers, slightly different circumstances, but the same response from the disciples. Did you catch that? Jesus looks at the crowd. He says, they're hungry. They can't go home. Most of them, many of them, because they'll faint on the way. 
And so I want to feed them. And Jesus' disciples asked this baffling question in verse 4. How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Can you feel the silence that comes after that question? Jesus cocks his head and says, really? Like, you can't think of one way. Is this ringing any bells? The answer is no. And the answer is also that Jesus is a lot more patient than than I would be, or maybe you would be in this situation. So instead of just lecturing them again, he shows them again how he provides. First thing, with compassion. Jesus says to them, his explanation in verse two, I have compassion on these people. You may know that the the Greek word, the New Testament was written in Greek and it's translated for us into English, thankfully, through the hard work of some people over the years. That Greek word uh, is from the root guts. Okay, it's like, it's just what you think it is. It's internal organs. So the adjective kind of comes out like this, to be moved in your guts, which sounds kind of disgusting, but it's really not that far off from the way we talk sometimes in English, right? We might talk about, um, you know, a heart-wrenching performance, a moving performance. We might talk about, um, you know, or a gut-wrenching performance or a heart-breaking speech, right? Like something that moves us deeply. What's incredible here is that Jesus sees these people and he's moved. He's not this stoic savior who's just watching from afar and delivering signs and those sorts of things so people, you know, gain theological knowledge. He is moved at the core because of their need. And that's an important reminder for us because sometimes we find ourselves in life in desolate places, in need. And sometimes we can begin to wonder if Jesus really cares all that much. And here we are reminded that the one who provides for us is one of us. He is moved with compassion when you're in need. But it's not just his compassion that's on display. It's also his power. You know, in some ways, this is the most evident thing in this passage and the most mysterious thing because Mark doesn't give us the mechanics of how we go from a few loaves to, you know, a full dinner for everybody with leftovers. He doesn't explain how that happens. All he tells us is that Jesus takes the seven loaves, he gives thanks for them, he breaks them, he hands them out. He does the same thing with the fish. And all of a sudden, everybody there eats and is fully satisfied. There is power in the spaces in between those uh, those, uh, those words, right? Like we're, we're meant to fill in with our imagination how it is that someone could do this. What sort of power must he possess that he can create out of nothing or much out of something? And it's not just that Jesus is powerful, it's also that his, he is generous. Both Mark and Jesus in his recounting of this event in just a couple verses makes a big deal about what? The leftovers. 
I mean, that's a big part of Thanksgiving is the leftovers, right? You're going to eat off of the leftovers for days. You know, you're going to put everything in a little Tupperware and, you know, one-gallon Ziploc bags. You're going to send people out the door with leftovers. They're going to go in the freezer, in the fridge. And Mark says, and there were leftovers. Seven baskets full, big baskets full of bread left over. Why? Were people just as bad about RSVPing then as they are now? Is that the issue? I know. It's like the second time I've gone there. I'll keep going there. It's good. It's worth it. It's a cheap laugh, but it's a laugh. And uh, is Jesus bad at math? Was he just like, uh, okay, we'll just overshoot it. Just order a couple extra pizzas to make sure, right? Like what? Why? If not to say something profound about how Jesus provides, he provides more than we need. He gives us more than we need. His grace is extravagant. His love is reckless. He gives us everything we need and more. Now, not everyone sees Jesus this way. I mean, I'm I'm guessing not everyone in this room sees Jesus this way. Some people, in this story anyway, think Jesus is kind of holding out. Like Jesus could give more if he wanted to, but he's not. Uh, We see that when Jesus gets on the boat and goes to this other district. And once he gets off the boat, we have this very short account Mark gives us beginning in verse 11 of the Pharisees finding him. And we're told they're not there to trust in him or to thank him. They want to test him. And so they come to him and they demand a sign from heaven. So the conversation sounded something like this, like, Jesus, you say you're the son of God and the Messiah, or at least people are saying that about you. Um, You're certainly insinuating that in lots of different situations we've been in. You've been forgiving sins. You've been healing diseases. Just prove it to us. Do a sign right now while we're standing here and we'll believe. That's all you have to do. Make it happen now. Never mind the fact Jesus just fed 4,000 people. Never mind the fact that before that, there's some, you know, guy who couldn't speak and couldn't hear one day, you know, a couple weeks before, and now he's walking around telling everybody about Jesus. Like, never mind all that stuff. No, we want our sign, and we want it now on our terms. And how does Jesus respond? What does it say? Verse 12, he sighs. He doesn't just sigh. He sighs deeply from within his spirit. That's not good. Okay, like when you ask somebody for something and their response is a sigh, a deep sigh from deep within their spirit, yeah, you're, you're not getting what you want. Right, like kids, you know, Friday night, can I get the keys? <sighs> you're not getting the keys. That's, that's just not gonna happen. What does that express in, in just a deeply human way? Frustration, Anger, sadness, like really? And so Jesus goes from not just showing his disciples how he provides, he then shifts into this whole conversation showing them how he protects. Notice what happens. Jesus basically says, he sighs, he says no, and he leaves. There's his answer. He's back on the boat. And when he gets back on the boat and either on the boat or on their way, when they get to where they're going, he has this very disjointed conversation with his disciples. And yet this whole conversation is intended to show them how he wants to protect them. 
And he protects them, first, first of all, by cautioning them. He says in verse 15, watch out, okay, beware. Beware of what? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. This is a teachable moment for Jesus. And so he's lifting a metaphor out of the moment. They've been talking about bread. He's like, well, they're thinking about bread. So we'll just run with that. And I'll use the metaphor of leaven or yeast. And the metaphor is basically this, like you get a little bit of leaven or yeast in the dough and what happens? It permeates the whole thing. Just a little bit ruins the whole. Because in this case, it's obviously negative. What is the leaven of Herod and the leaven of, Pharisee, of the Pharisees? We don't know exactly what it is, but the connecting idea seems to be they say they want to know who Jesus is, but they've already kind of made up their mind. How do we know that? Well, Mark chapter three, the Pharisees, this same group of people or same community of people came to Jesus and accused him of doing everything he was doing by the power of Satan and by the power of demons. Like you don't recover from that. You don't go, that, that's kind of my starting point and then you're gonna prove me wrong, Jesus. Well, they, they basically already made up their mind who Jesus is. At this point, they're just testing him. They're trying to catch him. They don't wanna trust him. They just wanna justify their unbelief. And Jesus says, beware. Now, Jesus is not saying, don't ask good questions. Jesus isn't saying that sometimes even as Christians, we have doubts about what's true. We have to work through those. It's not what he's cautioning us against at all. What he is cautioning us against is making up your mind about Jesus. You're not going to believe in him and then just kind of throw some questions out after. That's not just intellectually dishonest. That's spiritually dangerous is what Jesus is saying. A few days ago, I uh, listened to a clip of an interview with uh, comedian Seth MacFarlane. Some of you may know Seth MacFarlane. And uh, I didn't know this about him, but when he was about 22 years old, he was a young comedian trying to make it. He was doing shows in Boston. And uh, he was there uh, doing a show on September 10th, 2001. The next morning he was on, he was booked to be on the flight from Boston to LA on September 11th, 2001. That was the one, one of the planes that was hijacked and and flown into the World Trade Center. He woke up late, missed the flight. And then 9-11 happened and the tragedy that, that occurred. So in this interview, it's happening years later, in this interview, the interviewer asks Seth MacFarlane a logical question, which is, you know, after that happened, after you found out uh, that, you know, you really had your life spared through this series of circumstances, do you now look at your life as a gift? It's a good question. Let me just say, kind of a softball question, right? I mean, it's not overtly religious. It's not asking you to sign up for any particular view of theology or even theodicy, for those of you who are into that sort of thing. None of that. Just like, do you now look at your life differently now? And you're like, okay, like, I mean, life is short. Life is fragile. Just whatever, any kind of reflection at all. And Seth MacFarlane said, no. I pretty much live my life the same way I've always lived my life. Haven't really changed one bit because I miss flights all the time. And it was just a coincidence. And I just don't want to make too much of, you know, a coincidence. I appreciate his honesty. But do you see how that sort of spiritual stubbornness negates the possibility of even gratitude, let alone giving thanks, just even a posture of 
gratitude, which every psychologist and sociologist will tell you is good for your soul, but for you just to say, now life's just random and it's a coincidence and maybe I'm here, maybe I'm not, without an ounce of gratitude toward anybody is not good for you. It's spiritually dangerous. And Jesus is saying, don't go there. And besides cautioning them, he then issues them a series of questions. This is the second way that he protects them, not just by that caution, but by questions. It's like one after another, question, 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 question. It's like a spiritual checkup. You know, when you go to the doctor, the doctor hopefully is going to give you a battery of tests, maybe not all at the same time, but you appreciate that these are important tests. Like you go to the eye doctor and get an eye exam. You go to the hearing doctor, you get a hearing exam. Like you take that really seriously. How many people get kind of Serious, like you bear down on the hearing test because you think you're hearing things after a while, right? Like you're in that little room, it's like, and then you're like, now, nah, right? And so you're, you, you're taking it really, really seriously. Uh, or the heart test, the stress test. The doctor tells you, go get a stress test. Like you're on the treadmill and you're doing what you need to do because you want to find out if you're healthy or even a memory test. Some of you have family members and you've worked through the difficulty of that we have in our own family. Uh, know the, the challenge of just getting an assessment of memory and how difficult that can be, but you want to take that seriously because those are serious, difficult issues to deal with. And Jesus is running through the litany of tests. He asks them question after question. You notice that? He turns to them and he says, uh, how's your heart? Brothers, how's your heart? Is it hard or are you teachable? How are your eyes? Can you see? Or are you blind to my goodness? How are your ears? Are you listening to the word? Or are you dismissing it and listening to other voices instead? And then this is the question he camps on on the most. Do you not remember? And what he wants them to remember is actually these two feedings that we mentioned a moment ago. It's interesting to me, like of all the other things Jesus has done, and he's done some amazing things up until this point, the two that he wants them to remember, like he drills down with details, like how many loaves, how many fish, how many left over, right? He's given them, he's doing the number check, all the details on those two incidents. Why those two? I think it's because of what they say in verse 16. Because as Jesus is cautioning them and about to question them, they're talking about food and specifically whether they're going to have enough. Let's just get the irony of that. They've witnessed Jesus twice now feed thousands of people with just a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. And now that they have a little bit of bread, they are worried that they may not make it. They may not make it through the next 48 hours as if the one who just did all of this before their very eyes wasn't actually standing in their presence. And so Jesus is like, then we're going to talk about what it means for me to provide. Now, for most of us this morning, our problem isn't bread. It's relationships, it's family, it's job, it's health, it's anxiety, it's depression. But the question is still the same. Do you not remember? See, the disciples were remembering back to 
broken pieces of bread in a desolate place. That's what Jesus was calling them to remember. But we remember a far greater provision even than that. We remember Jesus's broken body on a desolate cross. Because the Bible tells us when our hearts begin to doubt that Jesus is taking care of us, that's where we start. The Apostle Paul asks it like this, asks it like this. He he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him give us all things? Just a moment, as Joe mentioned, we're going to have a chance to give thanks together as a church family. Hopefully on Thursday, you're going to have a chance to do the same. Hopefully it doesn't feel like such a stressful test right now. I just talked to the test for about 20 minutes. But this passage invites us now and and throughout the week and and on Thursday to, to ask questions like, how has God provided for me, for us? How has God protected me and us? And what does that mean? What does that say about who God is and who I am to him? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for giving us Jesus who is compassionate toward our need. Help us now, even in this time of thanksgiving, to honor and to glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.